then we'll be blessed by the preaching of Mark Croston. Uh, Mark is uh, a national director with Lifeway Christian Resources, a wonderful friend of Georgia Baptist. And uh, so, Mark, would you and Brenda please stand and let's give them a Georgia welcome right now. We're so glad they could be with us. Hello, Georgia Baptist. I'm so grateful to be able to be here on today. I want to bring you greetings from uh, our new president at Lifeway, Dr. Ben Mandrell, and all the good people at Lifeway Christian Resources. And I want to thank you for the privilege to be able to come and to share at this great event. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading at verse number 22. The book of Acts, chapter 2, starting at verse number 22, and the word of the Lord reads like this. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And skip down to verse number 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. My assignment on today is to talk about his story. Let's bow and pray. Father, now we thank you in the wonderful, the powerful name of your Son and our Sovereign, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessings of the day. Thank you for bringing us to this place and for the time that we are gathered together. We thank you for the worship that we've experienced and for the wonder of your word. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death on Calvary's cross, for his blood that was shed, and for the difference that it makes in our lives. Now, O oh God, we pray that you would open up your word for our hearing one more time. Speak to us at the point of our greatest need. Make us better for having come here today. And allow these moments to give your name which is worthy, glory, and honor and praise, and we thank you for the privilege in Jesus' name, and all who know him said amen. amen. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. That's a real familiar hymn, isn't it? Many of us have sung that hymn many, many times, but I just want to suggest that maybe some of us have stopped telling the story. 
And would you do something for me and reach out to your neighbor and just touch them and ask them, are you telling the story? Now, let's just get one thing straight. I am a black preacher, and every now and then there will be some instructions for the audience. In a 2018 survey by Lifeway Research on the state of American theology, only 37% of Americans who were uh, surveyed responded affirmatively to this statement. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their savior receive God's gift of eternal life. Only 37% of American respondents responded affirmatively to that statement. When I was a little boy growing up in church, I would hate it when the pastor wasn't preaching and the assistant pastor had his turn. Uh, Sometimes, you know, the assistant pastors aren't as good as the lead guy. And so when he would get up to preach, He had this uh, habit of every time he got to one of the great Bible stories of skipping over it. He would get to the edge of a Bible story, tell us what the story, the title of what the story was, and then in order to save time, he would always say, you know the story, and then he would go on as if we already knew the story. And I can remember sitting in the back of the church where kids like to sit in good Baptist churches and saying to myself, you know, we don't know the story. Come on, tell us the story. And he would just go on as if we knew it when we didn't know the story. And I believe that that's what happens when stories become so common in our lives. And we believe because we have heard them all of our lives and we get to hear them often on Sundays when we go to church that we believe that everybody already knows the story. But I want to suggest to you that we live in a day and in an age and in a place where people don't know the gospel story. They don't know the details. They don't know the nuances. They don't know the names. They don't know the places. They don't know what you know. And so you have got to tell his story. Touch a neighbor and tell him, tell his story. His story tells us that he was a good man. This particular text takes place on the day of Pentecost. uh, Peter is in the process of preaching a tremendous message, but in the midst of the message, Peter recognizes that he has got to tell the story of Jesus. And so in a eulogistic fashion, Peter begins to tell Jesus' story in verse number 22 and says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words Jesus of Nazareth was. First, he says, a man attested to you. That is to say that he was shown, he was proven, he was recognized, demonstrated, he was given the stamp of approval, licensed or endorsed. He was no plastic or synthetic substitute. He was not merely the image of a man. He was a man. He was not just the image of a God. He was 
very much God, sanctioned, bona fide, nothing but the truth, Jesus. It says he was attested to you. Many, many of the things that uh, we could say about Jesus uh, are, have to include the idea that he was a good man. It says he was attested to you how? By doing signs and wonders and miracles. Remember that the Bible says that in him was life and the life was the light of men. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He went to a Canaan wedding and turned the water into wine. On the side of a hill one day, he had a free fish fry for 5,000 people. Who else would do that but Jesus? He walked on the stormy sea. He spoke to the winds and the waves and told them to be still. He made brother 38 take up his bed and walk, gave sight to blind Bartimaeus, fixed the 12-year issue of blood, and just before he died, he visited a cemetery and told a man who had been dead for four days named Lazarus to get up from the grave. We know he is God because nobody can do the works that Jesus has done except God of very gods, and he was used of God. Uh, The Bible talks about a conversation he had with a troubled woman one day who had been going through a terrible time from relationship to a relationship. But he wanted to let her know that nothing that she was doing would quench the thirst that was in her life except the relationship with the almighty God. We live in a place where people are all around us doing all kinds of things trying to set satisfy the longing and desire in their life, trying to bring peace and joy to their lives, but nothing will satisfy like a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was a good man, uh, but let me ask this question. What will they say about you? What will they say about you when your time comes? A member of my church after a funeral one day came up and said, Pastor, what will you say about me when I die? And I said, I don't know, but you're writing it all the time. (laughs) See, the real truth of our lives is not what people say about us today. The real truth of our lives is what God will say about us when we go to meet him face to face. And I hope that one of the things that God can say about you is that you took the opportunity to tell his story. His story reminds us that bad things happen to good people. Look at verse number 23. It says, he was delivered up. See, good people sometimes lose control of their destiny. Things happen in all of our lives that we don't have control over. A drunk driver might appear out of nowhere. Uh, A downward turn in the economy might destroy our finances. Crime or cancer, desertion or divorce can happen in any one of our lives. And this is why the Bible reminds us that God is with us and knows what we're going through all the time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And so this text says he was handed over. He didn't do anything but good in his life, and yet 
he was handed over. All he ever did was love people who needed to be loved and feed people who were hungry and heal people who were sick and give sight to people who were blind, strength to people who were weak and forgiveness to people who had messed up their lives. And yet the text says he was handed over. One of the ways we can identify with the story of Jesus is because we recognize that good people sometimes lose control of their destiny. There may be things that I might be planning or hoping for my life that doesn't really happen the way that I hope they will because I'm not in full control of my future. Good people sometimes get mixed up with the wrong crowd. Look at the second part and third part of verse number 23, and it says, you use lawless people. This, this you is not just them out there. This you in the text includes all of us in here. We have to be reminded that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and we're all part of the world somewhere. The Bible says there were none righteous, no, not one, none that did good, and that all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And so the truth is that problem, this is the problem, that, that some of us have been Christians too long. See, when you've been a Christian a long time and then you stay in church forever and all your church friends are your only friends, you forget sometimes that we too were washed from our sins. We too, we too had to be saved from our unrighteousness. And the truth is that if you can uh, knock off the cobwebs out of your mind and think back far enough in your life, you will recognize that you too are among those who were there when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. This text says you, you use lawless people in order to crucify him. Touch your neighbor and say, it includes you. All of us were there. There's an old uh, spiritual that says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? And the truth is we were all there because all of our sin was crucified on Calvary's cross when Jesus died. Good people sometimes do things they don't want to do. Remember, it was, uh, it was like the religious people, it was the church people of Jesus' day that actually got him crucified. And so look at the end of verse number 23, it says, this is what you did. You did this to nail him to a cross and kill him. Good people sometimes do things they don't wanna do. When we lose focus of our real mission, and when we stop praying to God for his uh, insight about what's supposed to really happen in our everyday lives, and when we stop looking for a fresh word from God, sometimes we end up doing things we don't want to do. This is a struggle going on in the lives of good people. Romans chapter seven, Paul says, the good that I want to do, he says, I don't do. And that that I don't want to do, he says, sometimes I end up doing. And he says, there's a war going on inside of me. Now, this is the great apostle talking. 
This is the one who wrote half of the New Testament, traveled all over Asia Minor and started churches. And if he had a war going on inside of him and he recognized that, we need to recognize that sometimes there's a war going on inside of us. But thanks be to God, he gets to the end of that text in Romans 7 and says, who can deliver us from this death except Jesus Christ himself? His story shows us that God never leaves a job half done. It says the the purposes of God will be carried out. And so here in the story, he says that Jesus was a good man, attested to you by signs, wonders, and miracles. You used lawless men in order to crucify him. But look at the middle of verse number 23 and, and remember something. It was according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. You see that in the middle of verse 23? According to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. The reason Jesus died on the cross was to purchase our salvation. He was not overpowered and crucified. God did not make a mistake and allow him to be crucified. He was crucified according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. That's what the text says. Remember this. The Bible says that the plan of salvation was already written before God laid the foundations of the world. And so sin is not a surprise to God. God already knew that if he made creatures like us, we would fail. And so before we ever had a chance to fail, God already created the remedy that would fix us in the midst of our failure. I tell you, friends, you got to remember the purposes of God will be carried out. The purposes of God cannot be hindered by age, assets, assignment, or antagonists. The purposes of God cannot be hindered by your age. Jesus was only 33. And in many of our Southern Baptist churches, we would say that's too young to be a Messiah of the world. But God uses people no matter what age they are. Huh? Moses was 80 when he uh, was called to Egypt to lead the people out of bondage. Abraham was 100 when he had a son and became the father of a nation. Elizabeth was, the Bible says, well stricken in years. Isn't that like a sister, not to tell her age? Well stricken in years before she became the vessel that gave birth to John the Baptist. Elijah was called the bald-headed old man before he prayed for three years of drought, before the widow's oil ran out, before he raised up a son from the dead, and before he defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. God doesn't care how old you are, you can still tell the story. As long as there's life in your body and breath and you're able to articulate some words, you too can still tell the story. God doesn't care how old you are. There's never a retirement from telling the story of his love. Would you reach out now to the oldest thing that's around you right now and touch them and tell them you too can tell the story? 
But if you're, if you're here and you're young, that's no excuse either. David was a teenager when he defeated Goliath. Solomon was but a child when he became the wisest king that Israel had ever known. Josiah was eight years old uh, when he became king and only 16 when he led the nation back to God in revival. Jeremiah was a boy when he got called to be a prophet and a preacher. And Timothy was in his youth when he was called to be a missionary and a gospel servant. And so it doesn't matter how young you are. And sometimes we look at young people and tell them you're not ready yet. But the truth is if God has his hand on their lives, that you ought to loose them and let them go with the gospel. Would you touch the youngest person around you right now and tell them God can use even you? God's promises cannot be hindered. God's purposes cannot be hindered by your age, but God's purposes cannot be hindered by your assignment. We look at our lives and we say, well, my assignment is too jumbled up in order for God to be able to use me that way. It doesn't matter what your assignment is. Your assignment might be math or motherhood. It might be reading or righteousness. It might be sickness or sanctification. Your assignment today could be love or loneliness. It could be arthritis or addiction. It could be today or tomorrow, but God can use you regardless of your assignment. And the truth is God has put you strategically in the middle of your assignment because there's somebody that God wants to reach with the message of the God that he can only reach by somebody who is in the place where you are today. When you get up tomorrow and go about doing whatever it is you're doing, look around you. There's somebody that God wants to reach with his message that is sitting at the table where you are. God's promises cannot be hindered by our assets. And sometimes we think we just don't have an, enough in order to be able to do it. The, the task is so massive. All these people that don't go to church and don't know Jesus, but God's promises can never be hindered by our personal assets. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God will supply our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. His purposes also cannot be hindered by antagonists. The truth is, there's never going to be a time when everybody signs up to do what God has called you to do. The truth is that there's never going to be a time when everybody is on your side. But it doesn't matter as long as God is on your side, you are in the majority. God's, uh, God can, uh, the, the story of God uh, tells us that the power of God is available. It says in verse number 24 that God raised him up from the dead. What awesome power that is for somebody who now has been dead for three days to be raised up from the dead. It is a reminder that there's no obstacle that God doesn't have the power in order to accomplish through our lives. The possibilities of God can never be frustrated. The text says it ended the pains of death. And so a lot of times we'll look and we'll say there's no possibility in front of us, but the possibilities can never be frustrated 
created by the power of an awesome God. And remember, it reminds us that the providence of God watches over us. It says at the end of verse number 24, because it was, listen to this, not possible for him to be held by death. And so if you've ever been cut down, if you've ever been put down, if you've ever been shut down, if you've ever been let down, if you've ever been held down, or you've ever been slapped down, if you've ever been down in the dumps, if you've ever been down in the mouth, if you've ever been down and out, or you've ever been down and dirty, if you've been down and in despair, or down in the muck and the mire, if you've been turned down or loose down, just remember you're just the kind of person that God is looking for. Here's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is simply that God gave up his throne in glory, came down through 42 generations, stooped down, uh, uh, stooped down and put on human flesh, was born down in a lowly manger, went down and preached at the River Jordan, knelt down and prayed in a garden called Gethsemane. He was nailed down to an old wooden cross. They t- took him down to a hill called Calvary, laid him down in a borrowed tomb, and he descended down into hell. And the Bible said down in hell, he preached a three-day revival. Revival, and early Sunday morning, he got up from the grave with all power in the palm of his hands. Aren't you glad about that? Finally, cutting across the field here, his story confirms for us that Jesus is still God's only provision for man's salvation. Look at verse number 36. It says, therefore, Let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus because he gave his life in obedience on an old wooden cross because he was laid in a tomb and raised on the third day. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is both king and Christ. He is both master and deliverer. The story of Jesus is the intersection in our lives of our impotence and his power, of our temporal with his eternal, of our common with him who is uncommon. Our guilt meets his forgiveness. The sinner meets the one who is sinless. Uh, Our weakness meets him in his strength. Our poverty meets the one who is full of plenty. And so tell the story of Jesus. We could preach philosophy, but philosophy, with philosophy, there are too many things that the human mind really can't understand. We could preach prosperity, but there are some things money cannot buy. We could preach politics, but there are some things the law cannot do. We could preach praise, but there are too many times when our mouths are filled with guile. We could preach physical power, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We could preach public democracy, but there are some times when the majority is way wrong. We could preach medical power, but there's some pains that pills can't reach. We could preach military power, but our greatest battles 
are against spiritual forces in high places. We could preach morality, but all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We could preach self-help, but there are too many times when we cannot help ourselves. We could preach scientific understanding, but there are too many things we cannot explain. We could preach the sickle of Muhammad, but Muhammad preached a feudal, graceless works religion. We could preach the sayings of Confucius, but that is like a talking in it about an eternal crisis and a talk will never solve the problem. We could preach the system of Hindi, but Hinduism is like traveling around in endless circles trying to find hope. We could preach the speculations of Buddha, but Buddhism is like closing your eyes and hoping your troubles would go away. And so we preach Jesus. And so tell the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus to the sinner that the sinner is saved by his faith, justified by his grace. He is cleansed by his blood. He is sanctified by his presence. He is sealed with his spirit. Nothing can change us like the blood and the story of Jesus Christ. His life does make an eternal difference. In the book of John chapter 3, Jesus says it like this. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. And so don't lift up anything but the name of Jesus. And don't tell anything but the story of Jesus. And God will make a difference in your life and in the world in which we live. How to reach the masses, men of every birth. For an answer, Jesus gave the key. He said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. The world is hungry for the living bread. Lift the Savior up for them to see. Trust him and do not doubt the words that he said. I'll draw all men unto me.